let's uh, let's pray. I have a collect on that handout that uh, handed out. Um, it's a collect for the third Sunday in Lent, which, as usual, so, sort of speaks to what I want to get at today. Let us pray. Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, well, today, uh, exciting topic. We're going to talk about the gospel. The gospel's come up all along, but today we'll focus on it. And I've called the session the gospel of grace, um, because grace is a part of the idea of the gospel. The gospel is an a old-timey word for good news. Um, so when we say gospel, we mean good news. That, that could be as opposed to something like good advice um, or um, bad news. When <laughs> um, sometimes good advice is bad news. Uh, because we can't uh, we can't keep up with it, and people sort of toss the word gospel around a lot. And often I want to say, what, what do you mean by that when you say that? Because uh, sometimes people use that word to mean a variety of things. I mean, it's used as an adjective to describe a genre of music, for example. That doesn't necessarily mean that all gospel music uh, necessarily is conveying the good news. A lot of it does, but uh, it doesn't inherently just by calling it gospel music. So we want to kind of get at that. <clears throat> the um, uh, the vision of statement of the Advent um, calls the gospel a go- uh, the Advent a gospel centered church. And if you hear long enough, you'll he- you'll hear that word all the time. I mean, almost on a weekly basis on Sunday, either from the pulpit an announcement or in a class that you attend, and through conversations. If you get involved around here, a lot of our leadership is constantly coming back to this idea as being primary. Um, and the second sort of paragraph that I have on that handout there is the very beginning of our vision statement. It, what follows after that is what we call our four hearts, um, which I think I've talked about in here before. If I haven't, you can go look it up online or in the toward the back of the magazine to get a sort of uh, elucidation of the, the vision. But here's the opening paragraph, which uh, frames it all. The Advent is a gospel-centered church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace. That's uh, from Martin Luther. Evident in any of our programs and ministries, holding to what the letter of Jude calls the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This gospel focus finds the cross and resurrection of Jesus ever and only at the center. The most comprehensive summation of our traditional Anglican doctrine is found in the 39 Articles of Religion. And so I've been bringing in here and asked some of the other teachers to bring in the 39 Articles so that you get acquainted with it if you aren't. It's a great thing to sort of look to as a confession of faith uh, in classic Anglicanism, and especially here at the Advent. It's something that we definitely point to uh, to, to sort of explain what it is <clears throat> that, uh, to be a gospel-centered church. Uh, to help us with things like understanding our prayer book, because uh, it's not always quite clear. Um, so if something is confusing to you in the prayer book, you can look to the 39 articles to clarify it. For example, what we believe about Holy Communion uh, or baptism, uh, what we consider to be scripture and what is not. Uh, um, 
what we think about people is what I talked about last time and how people are saved. And so that was the lesson. If you missed it last time, that's fine. Uh, a brief recap is I sort of uh, gave you the bad news <laughs> before talking about the good news this week, which is about human nature. What is it about people that demands that, that we need salvation? You know, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the need? Uh, if Jesus Christ is the answer, what's the question? Uh, and that had a lot to do with our, our fallen nature. Uh, I forgot to bring this in last time, but I think it works well as a, as a recap of, of what I talked about. Is if you uh, look at the other side of that first page, um, there was a New Yorker uh, cover in 2015 um, <clears throat> that I, when I saw this, I thought, gosh, that's great. Uh, because it's like a sort of a hipster looking millennial with an iPhone. And he's so transfixed in his iPhone that he's hunched over. And that is what comes from St. Augustine's uh, and then in the Protestant Reformation. And until now, the understanding of original sin was this Latin phrase, incurvatus in se, curved in on oneself. And I think that's a great illustration of us uh, in a sort of 2015, now 2016 um, sort of understanding on the very cover of the New Yorker. Um, what does it mean to be a sinner? It means that we're, we're not seeking after God, ever seeking after God. We're often ever seeking after false idols, and usually that false idol is ourself, that we're so cu- curved in on ourselves that we cannot uh, go after God without him intervening in our lives. Um, <clears throat> and so there was an article uh, in, from the Articles of Religion, which I think is number... Nine, which is about original sin. So read that with this in the other hand, <laughs> because it's Elizabethan language and then the New Yorker. You know, it'll, somewhere out of the, the middle, you'll get uh, an understanding, hopefully. And then the, the next article religion is number 10, which is on free will. If you look at the next New Yorker cartoon of the butterfly, uh, this is a, a helpful illustration of our problem when it comes to the human will but here it is with the butterfly and a caterpillar. The thing is, you have to really want to change. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Again, from the New Yorker, um, the, the, uh, the caterpillar can't make himself into the butterfly. Uh, it happens uh, outside of himself. Um, and uh, that's our problem, too. We can, we can uh, really want to change, but you know how that is. I mean, make a New Year's resolution or... Uh, or, or, or a Lenten devotion, for that matter, um, or, or, or something. At some point in your life, you've probably tried to, um, to do something on your own, and it lasted for a little while, and then uh, life happened. Um, your sin nature set in, and that applies also to our seeking after God. Um, that uh, uh, in our lifetimes, even if for a little while, our sort of quiet time in the morning is going well, Eventually, life happens with that too. Uh, and so it's only in terms of our everlasting salvation, God's intervention in our lives that bring us to Him. And, uh, um, and that the operative word for, for that equation is grace, uh, which I'll talk, to, talk about a little bit more. But, but what about, so, you know, why do we need to be saved? Uh, I want to talk about something else first before. Um, the uh, idea of grace. 
um, the the main dilemma. I'm having a tough time. Brandon had a tough time too with this in this room. Uh, can you all see this? Um, I think it's just all the way up to the wall. As long as you can mostly see this. Here's the, I mean, it, well, human nature, of course, but this comes into play in a what I'm about to say. This is the main deal, okay? Um, you have God, and by that I mean the Trinity, <laughs> right? Um, not some other uh, deity. Brandon brought that in a couple weeks ago. That When I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and then we have you or people. And the main deal is God is completely holy and righteous, full of glory, perfect in every way. How can we stand before God without uh, being completely destroyed? Because we have, uh, we are unrighteous. The inherent in us is this problematic nature that's flawed. Uh, and because God is perfectly righteous, we cannot stand before him without being judged. We do not live up to the law, uh, and uh, uh, it, it will completely destroy us. Uh, we, we can't experience his glory without mediation. Something between us and God. Or another, I shouldn't even put, I didn't plan this, but it makes a cross. <laughs> really, uh, it, it comes to us um, uh, and is given to us. And a helpful way to understand this is it comes up in Exodus. And actually, we if you're at the 9 o'clock, I'm hoping we'll sing it at the 11. We sang Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, uh, which sort of alludes to this passage from Exodus uh, chapter 33. Remember, Moses uh, is talking to God, uh, and he says to God, please show me your glory. Moses standing wants to stand with God and see his full glory. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim uh, before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me uh, where you shall stand on the rock and I will, and, and while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you in my hand uh, with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face uh, shall not be seen. God has to be hidden from Moses uh, uh, in order to uh, in order in order for Moses to have a relationship with him. Moses needs mediation and see who provides it is God himself, both through the rock uh, within which uh, Moses hides, and then God covers the the uh, the opening with his hand when his glory passes by. Um, and and really, this is grace, just as he says here, "I'll be gracious to whom I want to be gracious." Uh, and as it's sort of uh, metaphorically explained in the hymn "Rock of Ages," that rock is Jesus, cleft for me. In whom I hide. Now you can. God is fully righteous, and you can stand before God, uh, and His righteousness will do one of two things: it will either condemn you, or it will be given to you. 
Uh, it's the same righteousness. You can either have it condemn you or be given to you. And uh, that's the deal here. That's the uh, given the righteousness so that we hide inside of Jesus Christ's righteousness given to us. And the fancy word for this, uh, is this what I want to talk about yet? I don't want to talk about that yet, I think. Do I? I have my notes here. I don't want to get there yet. But uh, the, the, but th- this is grace, though. Uh, this is gift. Um, and there are some terms that are used to explain the idea of grace. Um, another word that's tossed around that um, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, like gospel does, like we say grace before a meal, things like that. But what I'm talking about here uh, is, has been explained in a couple ways. You might have heard the phrase to explain grace, unmerited favor. God's giving Moses his favor, even though Moses doesn't deserve it, unmerited favor. Uh, uh, another way that um, you might hear it explained is undeserved love uh, or the sort of, uh, you know, kind of modern way that people talk about things like that is unconditional love, non, non-conditioned love. It doesn't depend on any merit or condition that we have, someone like Moses has. It's simply given. Um, uh, another way that uh, I've, I've liked uh, explained is love for the unlovable. The, the fallen uh, creature, uh, human, is inherently unlovable, and yet God still gives his love. Uh, and uh, the really helpful uh, term that Paul Zoll, who's the previous dean of the Advent, whose portrait's right behind that wall there, uh, gave us to explain this idea, and I did put an arrow here, is it, it's one-way love. One-way love. It's not, it doesn't, it's unrequited. It's unreciprocated. It's unconditional. It goes unidirectionally, only from God to us. He's given his righteousness uh, to us. And so Paul wrote, Paul Zoll wrote this book, which isn't the, necessarily the book that I, I've brought in to recommend today, but it's called Grace in Practice. And he gives a really helpful sort of exposition and definition of the concept of grace, which is the next uh, few pages uh, in the thing that I've photocopied for you. Since we, we're okay on time, I'm, I'm going to read uh, this passage. Uh, it's about a page and a half. It starts at the very bottom of what says uh, page 35 there, and the question is, what is grace? A short definition of grace is hard to find. Unmerited favor is the classic one, but favor sounds old-fashioned. Undeserved love is another try, but then what love is really deserved? The minute deserving comes into it, the romance and emotion, all the feeling, melt away. A jawbreaker definition of grace is the old anagram that defines grace as God's redemption at Christ's expense. Don't expect to get too far when you use that one. What is grace? Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It is being loved when you are the opposite of lovable. The cliche definition of grace is unconditional love. It is a true cliche, for it is a good description of the thing. It just sounds a little 1970s, as in, have a nice day. Yet the words are apt. Let's go a little further. Grace is love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. 
Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves, in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved. That negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. In 1965, Joe Meek produced a would-be pop single that was sung by Bobby Rio and the Ravels and was entitled Value for Love. It was a great tune, but like almost everything Joe Meek produced, it only grazed the top 30. The lyrics were wildly false. The singer keeps telling the, the girl she should go for him because he is good value for love. He is worth her uh, falling for him. Sure, Bobby Rio, that line never works. It never will. It is all weights and measures. Grace is one-way love. That is the definition for this book. Grace is one-way love. The one-way love of grace is the essence of lasting transformation that takes place in human experience. You can find this out for yourself by taking a simple inventory of your own happiness or the moments of happiness you have had. They have almost always had to do with some incident of love or belovedness that has come to you from someone outside yourself when you were down. You felt ugly or sinking in confidence and somebody complimented you or helped you or spoke a kind word to you. You were at the end of your rope and someone showed a little sympathy. This is the message of Otis Redding's immortal 1962 song, Try a Little Tenderness. Later in the book, I shall offer several illustrations of how grace works with children and with husbands and wives and in singleness and with parents and with brothers and sisters. It is true in life that grace, one-way love, has the power to turn despair into hope. It is almost always some form of grace, someone outside, some outside source of unexpected and unhoped-for compassion and kindness that creates the change from discouragement and despair to endurance and perseverance. Grace as one-way love is thus the opposite of law. Law depresses and incites. Grace enlivens and enables. Grace is one-way love. Take an inventory of yourself. Watch other people about whose happiness you care. Uh, whose, about, about whose happiness you care. You will see it over and over. One-way love lifts up. One-way love cures. One-way love transforms. It is the change agent of life. Uh, full of classic uh, PZ-ness of uh, 1960s uh, references. Um, but hopefully that grounds it for you in terms of understanding in everyday life. And really the point of the book, Grace and Practice, is understanding this about how God works with us. We can put it in practice into our lives. Uh, uh, that only a really happy marriage kind of looks like this in terms of our interaction with our spouse, our spouses. The wedding vows are basically this kind of thing where unidirectionally I give my wife some vows and then unidirectionally she gives me some vows, but they don't depend on each other. Uh, they exist in parallel. My promise is to love her in a unidirectional, <laughs> there she is, in a unidirectional way, despite anything that she brings to the equation or, or not, um, and, and vice versa. Uh, and, uh, um, but more importantly, that's the way that God operates with us. Well, isn't that nice? I mean, isn't that nice that it doesn't really depend on you, that it's a gift that's given? The difficulty is a lot of people don't like gifts. We're like the adolescent who doesn't like a hug for the most part, right? You know, that we want to resist it. 
uh, finally, hopefully, with the bombardment of the unidirectional love, we melt away and, and accept the grace and our lives are transformed. Um, uh, let me tell you a story. Um, when uh, I was in seminary uh, several years ago, in our first year of seminary, we didn't have a car uh, and Holly was working at a, a coffee shop in town. We didn't have kids yet, um, so we kind of walk around and take the bus. Uh, her boss at the coffee shop uh, called me one day and said uh, he and his wife are going out of town for a couple of weeks, and uh, would we like to borrow his car while he's out of town? Uh, it's to his benefit, a little bit older car, the battery won't die if we're turning the engine over. In exchange for we get to go buy some groceries at Costco and maybe go on a weekend day trip. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Wasn't expecting it. Um, would love to take you up on that offer. And they said, but I gotta tell, tell you something. Um, we have a really high deductible on the car. It's like $1,500. So if you get in an accident, you're gonna have to pay the deductible. And I said, uh, uh, you know, thanks. I that was a, a great idea, but I think you ought to find someone else. I really can't afford a fifteen hundred dollar risk right now. Um, and I hung up, and I thought, Kali, that was a bait and switch. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> what a what a jerk who who uh, didn't um, have the confidence in me to think that maybe if I got in an accident, I'd pay the deductible anyway or something. You know, or take care of it. Um, and so what I thought sounded like sheer gift was actually demand. It was grasping after something from me. Uh, it was actually very selfish on his part because what he was getting out of it was the battery not dying. And if I got an accident, no sweat because I'd pay for the deductible. He probably found some other schmuck uh, to do that. I think they also wanted us to drop them off at the airport. And yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember that part, but... Um, but uh, I think we often think of God that way. We think that God operates that way. We operate that way on a daily basis with other people and, um, uh, and uh, in ways that are a little more subtle. Um, my love for my children is often very conditioned. You know, last night I was very upset with one of our daughters not going to bed, and I needed to prepare for this class and other things. Um, you know, I, I, I really fail at this, but the person who's really good at it is God. Um, and uh, so I want to read an, another passage from the Bible from the New Testament uh, to, to get at uh, what this all has to do with Jesus. And so that's back on the first page. If you go back to that handout um, from Romans chapter 5. And I brought in last week uh, another passage from Romans chapter 5 uh, uh, that's a, that follows this. Uh, so there's something there. Study Romans chapter 5, hint, hint, if you want to get at last week's lesson and this week's lesson. Uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's tons going on in these like three verses uh, that I can't even begin to get into. But uh, first of all, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, meditate on it daily. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Paul's saying we're ungodly. And that's basically, that was the message that I was getting at before. Moses, famous in the Old Testament, is ungodly. And that's why uh, he, when he wants to see uh, God's glory, he cannot. Uh, God needs to intervene. Um, uh, uh, but the message here is basically just as um, Moses was hidden inside of that rock, Jesus died for us and covered us with his blood. Uh, and that's the point of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It's given to us his righteousness, became human uh, to identify with us. Um, uh, uh, what else is here that I want to point out? Um, uh, uh, and then justification uh, is another uh, great term uh, to, to, to learn uh, and there's an article uh, that I'll get into from the Articles of Religion uh, b- below that that's uh, on the justification of man. Um, and also saying that we need to be saved from God's wrath, which is an unpopular thing to say this day and age, that God is not only a God of love, we love because he first loved us, things like that, uh, but God is also a God of wrath. Remember what I said, you can either stand before God and be condemned through his wrath, that same righteousness can either condemn you or it can be given to you. God is both a God of wrath and a God of love. And he knows that about himself. And so therefore, uh, he's decided uh, to give us his love. Um, and uh, so here are some helpful terms uh, for getting at these topics. One which comes up here in Romans uh and uh, it's in the articles, is justification. Uh, and the full, proper sort of phrase uh, that you'll hear people say is justification by grace through faith. It's a legal term. How can you be justified before God? In his courtroom... <laughs> You can either be judged or acquitted, <laughs> regardless of the circumstance. Uh, in that courtroom, regardless of the evidence, you can either be judged and condemned to a death sentence, or you can be acquitted. That's what justification is, a legal term. And we justify ourselves all the time through the things that we're constantly looking for justification in our lives, aren't we? Through the clothes that we wear in our careers, in our academic bona fide, and uh, the car that we drive, the zip code that we live in, um, whether we have uh, trophy children and trophy wives or tro- trophy husbands and uh, the diets that we have. And if you have children, you're on Instagram, people are justifying themselves by the fact of whether or not they breastfeed or not or they uh, feed their children organic food because the world is constantly giving us these messages of judgment that we feel we have to live up to. And that's helpful for thinking about in terms of our relationship with God is like that, but we don't usually feel it as acutely as the stuff in life. The sort of whether or not we're, uh, you know, uh, Holly can give you the phrases like breastfeed only. What are some other ones that are on Instagram with mothers? It's like the worst for young moms right now. Homeschooled, Homeschooled breastfeed only, you know, golly. And these things are great uh, on their own. Sorry, so, yeah. so you know, and it just like it's such a crucible to be a, like a 30-something young mother, a young children to be on Instagram right now. 
Um, and we're, we're, and, and it's like that for you. I mean, even if you're not of uh, that demographic, there's something else in your life that, that you're trying to justify or be justified by. Uh, well, uh, the, 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 um, the relationship between God and us is like that. And the good news is that we are justified not by anything that we do, but by his grace through faith that he actually gives to us as a gift. So that's justification as a, as a, as, uh, a, th- a classic theological term that's helpful for understanding the gospel of grace. Another one is uh, is uh, imputation. Nobody really talks about uh, imputation. But lawyers understand everything I'm talking about, right? If you're a lawyer, anybody a lawyer in the room? <laughs> Because you, or, or, or maybe you work in finance, <laughs> you will understand these terms because they'll probably be tossed around in your, uh, your vocation. Uh, but these are all legal terms. Uh, uh, imputation is when something is accounted to uh, someone, uh, whether that is true about them or not. You can either be imputed guilt or imputed innocence. Um, uh, uh, when you, first impressions of a person are usually an act of imputation, imputing a sort of description on that person that they may or may not have based on ju- micro judgments that we make based on the way that they look or, or whatever. We're, uh, we're, uh, again, you can sort of draw the same thing, you know, uh, person, the actor can impute something onto that person. Now this is verses um, infused, which is an important distinction. I'm not ta- imputation isn't about um, um, putting an idea inside of someone, uh, injecting. I'm not talking about infused righteousness. I'm talking about in, in, imputed righteousness. It's accounted, you're called and claimed to be either innocent or guilty, regardless of the evidence. Uh, and then God looks upon that and that's what he sees. There are a lot of people who, uh, who uh, most of sort of uh, spirituality and religion right now are looking for something to be infused inside of us. Um, uh, uh, through the things that we do that will change us from the inside out or even the, the food that we consume. Um, and there, uh, there are doctrines uh, uh, that come from the medieval church that viewed Holy Communion in this way, that you weekly take in or daily take in communion inside of yourself as a medicine to change you from the inside out. Imputation is, 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 uh, is different from that. It's not about taking the thing in it's about the thing uh, being announced, pronounced onto us. Um, another uh, um, way to think about justification and imputation, if this is righteousness of, around the person, another way that the reformers talked about this is that this righteousness is alien. It's alien righteousness. I'm not talking about Martians. I'm saying that this righteousness is not of ourselves. It comes from the outside. It comes from another source. It comes from like outer space, as it were, right? Uh, and given to us. It's an alien righteousness. Another uh, classic uh, term to, to explain this concept, I'm running out of room here, but I want to put them on the, the same page, is uh, simul justus 
Uh, I always spell this wrong. I don't even spell correctly in English. Simul justus et peccator is a Latin phrase that means simultaneously justified and sinner. At once a sinner and a saint. Uh, that's the problem. The, 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 so this is the life. You know, God imputes to us an alien righteousness that justifies us. And yet, like Moses inside of the rock, we're still sinners. We're still at the same time 100% considered saint and 100% uh, considered uh, sinner. This is the good news. That's the gospel. I hope you find that to be really refreshing words of comfort. Uh, I, I, I find it to be constantly because I fail all the time. And then I come back to simul justus et peccator, justification by grace through faith, imputed righteousness. Uh, when, when the rest of the world isn't really operating this way, for the most part, uh, it's making demands in other ways uh, and asking me to um, take up a New Year's resolution so I can infuse the righteousness inside of myself. And we often confuse Christianity and talk about it on, in these terms, uh, uh, the, the opposite of the good news. With all that background Look at, finally, Article 11 from the 39 Articles of Religion, which is at the bottom of this page, of the justification of man. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by faith, and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is the most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort as uh, more largely is expressed in the homily of justification. If you uh, were here at the beginning, remember I said that there's a, another set of documents from the early uh, English uh, reformers called the homilies, uh, which touch on the, 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 the 39 articles are very pithy and helpful uh, sound bites uh, that are great. Um, the homilies, not entirely, they're not a one-to-one -one correspondence, but there are a lot of things that appear and the articles that were um, more thoroughly exposited in the homilies. And the homilies were in the early English Reformation uh, when England went from a medieval Roman church to overnight Protestant, um, the priests were not trusted enough to preach the gospel because they either were not educated very well, they're, they're, their office had been reduced to ceremonial ritual, which like you can teach any monkey to kind of stand behind the altar and break the bread and, and all this. And they were often saying the words in Latin and the mass that they didn't often understand. And so all of a sudden this church becomes uh, very Protestant and they're worshiping in English and there have to be sermons. So they gave these guys homilies, uh, which explained a lot of these concepts. Um, so uh, if you're interested, uh, you're kind of a nerd, that's a great thing for you. If not, the 39 articles on their own are great, pithy sound bites. But look at this about the justification of man. It's everything that I've talked about in like four lines. Everything that I've been talking about today is encapsulated right here. We are accounted righteous before God. Remember Moses, us standing before God. We are accounted righteous. It's not infused inside of us. It's pronounced Onto us, only for the merit of our Lord, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith, because of Jesus we are accounted righteous. He's the mediator uh, through uh, the means of faith, which is in, in and of itself given to us. 
and not for our own works and, or deservings. We can try as hard as we want to improve ourselves through moral uh, improvement, through uh, spirituality, through reading all the greatest books, but none of those things are going to make us stand holy before God. Only uh, the, the, the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is the most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Uh, it should be comforting to hear that when you're in a world that is like this constant hamster wheel of trying to keep up with the Joneses. Let me tell you one last story uh, before I end. Um, um, I uh, was doing pastoral care at a previous church and visited a woman in a hospital who was in her 90s, and uh, she had a PhD, uh, and uh, she was a teacher her whole life, single, never had children, devoted herself to her career. Um, I mean, thinking that she was in her mid-90s at this time and had a PhD, I mean, that was pretty cutting edge. I think she went to like uh, school in Manhattan, uh, NYU or Columbia to get that PhD, even though she was from the rural South, uh, South Carolina. I mean, here's someone who really broke the mold, right? Uh, and succeeded and had a very successful career as a teacher. And uh, we started to notice that she was showing signs of dementia, but was still, you were still, she was lucid enough that you could have a sort of semi-coherent conversation with her most of the time. And I visited her in the hospital, uh, and she, I, I noticed, uh, by the way, this is a pastoral care trick. If somebody uh, know this about yourself, if somebody repeats a concept two or three times, a good minister picks up on that and goes right there. And she repeated the word adequacy like three times, talking about her own adequacy with respect to her career and her parents. When she was a child, like 90 years ago, this thing was haunting her about her adequacy. Uh, that was a word, apparently, I guess, that her parents had used, and that had sort of fueled her life into all the success to the point that in her mid-90s, she's still talking about her adequacy. And uh, she starts, uh, you know, really tearing up about that. And I said, well, tell me about this adequacy. Uh, and uh, she says, I, you know, and I, and I just don't feel adequate uh, in terms of my relationship with God. I mean, she phrased it another way, but that was basically what she said. Because I'm a minister, of course, she went there. But most of the time, she's thinking about the adequacy in terms of the way she lived her life, um, career success, etc., and I took this dying woman's hands, uh, and she's crying, uh, 95 years old. I'm like 33. <laughs> and I looked her in the eye, and I said, you are adequate because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And she started bawling. It was the absolute release of 95 years of pent up, am I adequate or enough or not? And it took a simple minister, 60-something years younger than her, to look her in the eyes and pronounce that good news of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ given to her. And it's the same for you. It's absolutely the same for you. You know, maybe in this life you are wondering about your adequacy. Um, and usually, like I said, you're thinking about it uh, uh, more acutely. You're feeling it uh, based on your Instagram account or the car you drive or whatever. Uh, but that is just a sort of mere shadow of, 
when you're at your end of your rope and you're thinking in the hospital and you've got cancer, am I adequate enough in terms of my relationship with God? Is that why this is happening? And the good news is your adequacy has nothing to do with you uh, in God's sight. It has everything to do with the uh, the imputed uh, righteousness of, of Jesus Christ, that you are justified by grace, that one-way love, that unmerited love, that undeserved love. Even though you are unlovable, uh, he has loved you um, through the means of his son. Uh, if you've never heard this message before, if you've never responded to this message before, this is my altar call. I mean, I don't do that very often, but this is given to you. You can accept it today uh, that God has given you this gift. Be like the child who takes that gift and rip it open like a three-year-old and don't care about the wrapper falling on the ground and accept it. Uh, don't be uh, a Miss Pris about it <laughs> and keep that wrapping. Go to the gift you know, and accept that gift and respond to it and live the rest of your life in light of it and come back here every Sunday for the rest of your life, or some other gospel-preaching church, to hear it, uh, that that doctrine of assurance, or how did they say it? Very full of comfort. Uh, um, what does it say? The most wholesome uh, uh, doctrine of the church uh, every Sunday, week by week, so that you can live the rest of your week knowing uh, the rest of the six days that that uh, is uh, that that's uh, how you stand. Um, and all these, and then your your Instagram account will, will matter less and less. It surely will. Uh, I, I, I'm convinced of that. So here's my book recommendation. Um, uh, if you need something to hear this message every single day of your life, 365 days, I recommend this devotional. I don't recommend a lot of devotionals because. They're just not very good. They're not communicating this message. They're communicating something confused. <laughs> this is called the Mockingbird Devotional Good News for Today and Every Day, which is uh, communicated in a language that you can understand. Um, uh, and I wrote three of the devotions in here. Uh, but that's not why I'm recommending it. That's why I participate in its creation is because I believed in the project so much that I said, yes, I will write for it. Um, but we sell this in the bookstore. So if you need to hear that most wholesome doctrine... Uh, on a day-to-day basis, I recommend this devotional. There are probably some other good ones out there, uh, but this is one that I recommend keeping on your nightstand. Well, uh, before we leave, and by the way, I'm so sorry we don't have time for questions and answers in this class. I just feel like there's so much that we want to get across that I hope you'll take it in. But the thing is, like, you can email me or call me or any of the teachers that come in here, and we'd gladly take you out to coffee or lunch or something like that to, to talk through these concepts in a sitting, you know, where this stuff is really big. It's, it's sometimes it's not enough to have a little like one minute Q and A. We really need to kind of unpack stuff uh, with a little more patience. So I, I welcome that greatly. Well, before we leave, let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the, uh, uh, the intervention in our lives uh, that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ, that is not for our own righteousness or deserving, but of his alone that is given to us, that you have pronounced us through him uh, 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 worthy and acceptable, adequate. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.